We hope you enjoy this episode from our series, Famous Fates. It's about the impactful lives and shocking deaths of history's most influential people. To hear even more episodes each week, subscribe to Famous Fates exclusively on Spotify. Three of a kind. Looks like you got me again. <laughs> Looks like you need your lucky seat after all. Settle down there. I played a good amount of five-card draw in my time. My luck can still turn around. Let's play. Give me two. Here we go. Give me one. You trying to bluff me? Because you ain't gonna bluff me, Bill. Well, that's for you to decide, ain't it? You in or out? Give me two. Ah, uh, perfect. I have... Damn you, Bill. Take this! Oh. Get that man! Oh my god. He's dead. Well, Bill is dead! Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Famous Fates, a ParCast original exclusive to Spotify. Each week, we'll release five fresh episodes centered around a common theme, such as Hollywood icons, influential women, or music legends. In each episode, we'll take a close look at the remarkable life of a different person. With the help of voice actors, we'll dramatize their incredible lives, reimagining their greatest and weakest moments. Then we'll examine their controversial deaths. Some deaths came too soon, some remained shrouded in mystery, and some changed the world forever. Today, we're covering gunslinger Wild Bill Hickok. He was a law enforcer, gambler, and performer. When you picture an Old West cowboy, Wild Bill Hickok is likely what comes to mind. And true to that image, he died after being shot in a saloon. You can find episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Famous Fates for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find it on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Now, back to the life of Wild Bill Hickok. Eighteen thirty-seven. The American experiment was still in its youth, and exploration of the western frontier had begun. In the small town of Homer, Illinois, James Butler Hickok is born. The young James would grow up to be one of the West's most deadly shooters. Much of that skill was learned in his youth through trial by fire. James's father, William Hickok, was a noted abolitionist and actually used the Hickok home as a station for the Underground Railroad. The Hickoks were always at risk of getting caught harboring runaway slaves. James' childhood was filled with previews of the constant dangers the new frontier would present him. Shoot. What is it, Pops? Officers. Officers wanting to investigate our cargo, most likely. James, grab that gun beside you. But I don't know... It doesn't matter what you know or don't know, son. Now take the gun and listen for me to tell you what to do. You there! Hold your car! We want to have a look-see inside. James, fire that gun now. At them? Wherever you like. Just scare the horses so we have an excuse when we make our escape. Got it. You get back here! Nice job, son. Know that you probably saved some good lives today. 
These constant brushes with danger inspired the young James to find a means of protecting himself. So he picked up his dad's gun and took up target practice. He'd shoot cans, posts, and the wild critters that roamed his farm. And he quickly discovered that he was a very good shot. So good, in fact, he became the family's de facto hunter. Even as young as 10, he would begin to bring in major game from around the woods. He would also show off his skills in shooting competitions. His marksmanship became legendary amongst the local townsfolk. It was around this age that he began to hear the stories of the kings of the wild frontier that came before him. And the stories of Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, and Jim Bowie were the subjects of dime store novels that were popular among James and his friends. James saw a lot of similarities between these legends and his own life, protecting the innocent, helping those in need, and presenting themselves as the coolest people on the planet. And the superheroes of the 1800s. <laughs> James dreamed of joining their ranks as legends of the American frontier, and he began to plan his Western adventures. Much to the chagrin of his parents, who wished for their son to stay in the safety of their farm, instead of into the amoral and dangerous world of the New West. And considering the danger that surrounded surrounded their life at home, that's really saying something. And the protest of James's parents fell onto deaf ears. James modeled himself on these American heroes. Hey, this is my river now. You guys get the hell out. This ain't your river, it's Mr. Carr's river. That don't matter to me. I say it's my river and nothing you scrawny wimps can do to stop it. Hey, who you calling scrawny wimps? All of yous are scrawny wimps. And if you don't get out, I'm gonna... Oh! If you want this dang river so much, you can have it. Come on, guys. Let's go tell Mr. Carr we found a varmint in his river. Ah, uh, the innocence of childhood. But childhood would soon disappear for young James. When he was 14, his father was murdered for his abolitionist beliefs. Which left much of the responsibilities of the family farm to James. James did what he could for the family, but he grew bored and longed for the days of adventure and danger he had with his father. Finally, at age 17, James decided to leave the farm and seek out his own life. He got by initially as a stagecoach driver, making delivery runs between Illinois and Michigan. It paid the bills for a while. Hickok was a rising star in the stagecoach business, and one of the mule boys he worked with, a man named Charles Hudson, thought that James was encroaching on the promotion Charles thought that he deserved. Hickok wasn't a fan of Charles either. He felt Charles mistreated the mules and was much too aggressive on his way up. Finally, during a stagecoach run together, the two of them came to blows. In the ensuing fistfight, they tumbled into the local canal. In the darkness of the canal, both James and Charles failed to find their opponent and each believed they had killed the other. In the panic of thinking he'd be wanted for murder, James made a split decision to flee Illinois and head to his destiny the Wild West. Wait, did the two of them just leave the mules up there by themselves? Ooh, I guess. Eh, that's a good question, actually. In all the times the story's been told, I don't think anyone has mentioned what happened to the mules. I hope those mules turned out okay. As good as a stagecoach mule could, I'm sure. Well, in any case, James decided to take up a new identity as he headed west. After all, he believed that everyone would be looking for a James Hickok. Makes sense. New life, new identity. Less chances at murder charges. He arrived in the Kansas Territory and began to introduce himself under his father's name, William Hickok, Bill for short. He changed his name to unnecessarily cover his tracks, but kept the last name? To be fair, Hickok is an awesome last name. Fair point. Once in Kansas, the newly minted Bill was a busy man. He joined up with an anti-slavery group known as the Kansas Free Staters. 
It was here that Bill acquired his first nickname from those who disliked his large ego. He was called Duck Bill due to the large lips he possessed. Ouch, a far cry from Wild Bill. He also had a nickname from those in his group that found him fierce and fearless, Shanghai Bill. A much better nickname, but... It's still no Wild Bill. In the Kansas Free Staters, Bill befriended Buffalo Bill Cody, who was only 12 at the time, and the group's leader, General Jim Lane. It is said that General Lane was preparing for a war with pro-slavery group the Missouri Border Ruffians, and Lane was so impressed by Bill that not only did he hope to have Bill as a high-ranking member of his army, but Lane also made Bill his personal bodyguard. Being chosen as a personal bodyguard is quite the badge of honor. Indeed. But being a high-ranking member of an unofficial army doesn't equal a large income. Bill's main source of income came from the Pony Express. In between his time fighting for freedom, Bill traveled all around Missouri, Kansas, and Nebraska, delivering mail and freight all around the known West. All in all, it was a pretty good gig for Bill, until the fateful day he found a bear blocking his path. Gold dang bear. Oh, shoot! Get off! Get off! And I thought saloon brawls were bad. Fighting a bear is the most manly of manly stories. That first shot hit the bear right in the head, but bounced off the skull and straight out. In the course of the fight, Bill suffered a crushed chest, broken shoulder, and a mangled arm. Mm. Bill was sent to recover at the Pony Express's station in Rock Creek, Nebraska. They employed him as a stable hand, since, you know, the injuries of a bear attack might be too much for horse riding. The Rock Creek station would become a place of destiny for Bill. It was where the legend of Wild Bill was truly born. The alleged story goes that while still recovering, Bill ran afoul with a man named David McCannells. McCannells was the leader of a local group of desperados. McCannells was a troublemaker, reminding Bill of the bullies he defended his friends from in his youth. Plus, McCannells and Bill both pined for the same woman, Sarah Schull. Now, Sarah was David's mistress until she met Bill, who swept her off her feet. Mm, that might be the cause of a little tension. McCannells owned the land that the Rock Creek Station was built on, and one day, he entered the station with two of his desperado members. Well, well, well. It seems like a certain mail station is late on their property payment, Mr. Wellman. Well, Mr. McCannells, I'm sure if you double-check your records... I don't think you heard me, boy. I said you're late on the payment. Now, if you'll just pay me double, we'll just get this trouble squared away. Settle down, McCannells. Get out of here while you know what's good for you. <laughs> if it isn't Duck Bill himself. I told you not to call me that. You think that's how this works? You don't get to tell me what to do. How Sarah Scholl fell for an ugly sissy of a man like you, that's something I can never understand. You leave Sarah out of this. It's not her fault she chose me, it's yours. Ooh, ain't that cute. Well, what are you gonna do, Duck Bill? Arrest me and my boys, huh? You gonna stop me from getting the payment I'm owed, huh? Nah, I don't have that power. But if I tell the sheriff that you're the one stealing the horses and sending them down south, well, he might be able to do something about it. You son of a... You killed him! He had his hands on his pistol. But send for the sheriff if you must. And the undertaker too while you're at it. News of the Hickok McCannells incident spread like wildfire across the United States. 
Almost overnight, Bill Hickok's legend had begun to grow. Bill took his newfound notoriety as another means of changing his identity. He grew his famous mustache to help hide his infamous large lips. I think he earned the right to shed the Duck Bill identity. But Bill didn't have much time to bask in the glow of his new fame. The Civil War had just broken out, and Bill found himself called to duty for the Union. Starting off as a stagecoach driver and a scout in Missouri, not much is known about Bill's early Army days. Except for the addition of a very significant part of his legend. While on temporary leave in Independence, Missouri, Bill encountered a mob forming in the middle of the town. One of the bartenders in the town saloon had beaten some local toughs in a street fight. The losers of the brawl were looking for revenge and had convinced some townsfolk to join them. Never one to allow a bully to win, Bill stepped in front of the bartender, took out his two revolvers, and fired over the heads of the crowd. The next person to move forward will get shot. And trust me when I say that this one will not miss. The crowd, stunned, stood in place for a few moments before they began to dissipate. As the last of the crowd left, a woman observing the incident from afar decided to let her voice be heard. Good for you, Wild Bill! This story spread, and the Wild Bill nickname would stick with him for the rest of his life. Of course, as with many of the dime-stored legends of the era, there are multiple versions of how Wild Bill earned his wildness. There's the version of the same story in which Bill defends a Union sympathizer from a Confederate mob. And another simply suggests Bill got the wild name from an Army buddy who was comparing him to another Bill in the Army, Tame Bill. I don't know what's worse, Tame Bill or Duck Bill. At least with Duck Bill, there's still a chance you can be a fun dude. Whatever is truth or legend, the next truth we know is that Wild Bill rejoined with General Lane and Buffalo Bill in the Kansas Brigade in 1862. And then things start to get a little fuzzy. Well, for much of 1862 and 1863, there's absolutely no record of the whereabouts of Wild Bill Hickok. The most likely explanation for this is that Hickok spent his time as a Union spy in the South. There is a record of a William Haycock being arrested in the Confederacy, which many speculate to be Bill. Again, if that is him, not very good with the whole alias thing. Well, the Union spy thing is only speculation. We have no way of knowing what actually was happening with him during this year. Which, when you think about it, means he was probably a pretty good spy. Calling whatever the American Civil War version of the MI6 is, Hickok is probably the guy you want on your team. But how do we know he wasn't part of some secret American James Bond-style group? It's all a mystery after all. I guess we'll never know. The next time Bill shows up in historical records, he's serving as Provost Marshal in southwestern Missouri. A Provost Marshal? Basically a military policeman. He was the guy who would make sure that the Union got money it was owed, and the guy who would inform the generals which soldiers were drinking on the job. Uh, Wild Bill, not really living up to his wild nickname here. Well, it does seem that Wild Bill occasionally questioned his wild ways. In a letter to his brother around this time, Wild Bill informed him that he had decided to quit drinking and gambling cold turkey. Whoa, not drinking and gambling in the heyday of the American West? That's unheard of. Yeah, it didn't seem to last too long. Bill was back to his drinking and gambling ways by the end of 1865. When he found himself in another legend-making incident, this time with a man named Dave Tut. Well, Tut was a former Confederate officer, and despite being on opposing sides in the war, the two engaged in a shaky friendship, but it wouldn't last long. The story goes that when Dave instantly rebounded with an ex of Bill's, 
Bill started sleeping with Dave's sister. Whoa, turnabout is fair play, I guess. But what most likely caused the friendship to sever was a gambling dispute. One night, Hickok and Tut were at the same poker table, and Hickok was on a hot streak. Ha! A straight. Looks like I cleaned you out, Dave. Impossible. There's no way you have this much luck. Some nights you have it, some nights you don't. Old lady luck was on Wild Bill's side tonight. You know, you still owe me $40 for that horse trade we made a couple weeks ago. Well, all right. There you go. 40 on the dime. I guess we're even now. No. No, we ain't. You also owe me $35 for last week's poker game. I don't believe you're right, Dave. It's only a $25 debt. I have the memorandum right here. Hey, you put that down. Until I get my 35, this here gold watch is my insurance. It ain't $35, and that ain't your watch. It's mine until I get the money I'm owed. If you're looking for a fight, you're not going to get it here. Lord knows you and your pals have got me outgunned. I'm just going to ask as nicely as I can. Give me back my watch before you have things to regret. <laughs> Hickok was humiliated. He couldn't let this insult and theft slide, especially considering that the accusation of avoiding debt could seriously harm his poker career. Thinking they had gotten one over Bill, Tut's friends taunted him as they walked through town. Oh, look who it is. It's wild Bill Hickok, lost and alone without his precious pocket watch. I hear Dave's gonna wear that watch right in the middle of town square tomorrow. Huh. Wouldn't that be something, eh, Bill? You tell Dave he shouldn't come across that square unless he believes dead man can walk. Very strong words from Wild Bill here. Very smart words, too. Now Bill had placed the ball in Tut's court. Either he backs down on his promise and shows himself as a coward, or he shows up and risks a fight. And pride, of course, was a very big deal in the Old West. So there was no way Tut was going to place himself in the wrong here. There was one last effort for peace. Eli Armstrong, a mutual friend, set the two up for a negotiation. Now, gentlemen, I'm sure there's some sort of agreement we can come to. If you want this watch back, it'll cost you 45. 45? But Dave, the debt's... 35. 25, actually. Look, look, let's all just calm down. Dave, why don't you just accept 35 now? And maybe we can come up with a further agreement down the trail when- 45 for the watch, or he's getting nothing. I don't want to fight you, Dave. I really don't. I don't want to fight neither. I just want the money that's owed to me. Well, I guess I'll just be seeing you tomorrow. Just know this was all your choice, not mine. Bill! Wait! Let him leave, Eli. We'll get what's coming. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now, back to the life of Wild Bill Hickok. The next afternoon, Dave Tut made good on his promise and stood in the middle of the town square with Bill's pocket watch on full display. Oh, talk about guts. Hmm. Word quickly spread to the town and eventually reached Bill. At around 6 o'clock p.m., Bill walked into town, his gun holstered at his side. Dave, I'm here. So I see. Don't you come across here with that watch. (laughs) You know what this is, then. Boys, I'm killed. Anybody here makes a move, and there's going to be a whole lot more dead men in this square. Now to get what's rightfully mine. 
Wild Bill Hickok had won the first quick-draw duel in the history of the West. The iconic image of the cowboy in a classic gunfight, seen in films such as High Noon and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, began with this fight. All thanks to a dispute over $10 and a gold wristwatch. Two days later, Hickok was arrested on charges of murder, which was soon downgraded to manslaughter. The trial was a controversial affair, as 22 witnesses went up to the stand, each seeming to have a slightly different story. It was debated as to who started the conflict. Bill for bringing the gun to the square and expecting a fight, or Dave for taking the watch and refusing compromise. The judge even gave contradictory advice to the jury. He told them both to consider that under the law, Bill was guilty, but also to consider the rules of a fair fight, which would make Bill innocent. All this contradiction and confusion led to the trial having its obvious conclusion. Wild Bill was acquitted of all charges. That's twice now that Bill's been set free after killing another person. The man certainly knew his way around a trial. Mm. And like the McCandle story, soon everyone across America had heard the tale. Even newspapers and magazines were seeking Bill out for interviews. Or at least seeking stories they could write about Bill. Some magazines even claimed that Bill had already killed a hundred men. That seems like an unreasonable exaggeration. It wasn't out of line with the stories that Bill would have read about his heroes back in his youth. He had finally joined Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone as a legend of the West. But while the rest of America was falling in love with the antics of Wild Bill, there was one group of people who weren't. The citizens of Springfield. You mean they weren't fans of somebody getting killed in the middle of their street? Many in the town viewed the quarrel and duel between Tut and Hickok as unnecessary and were outraged by the acquittal. Despite this, Hickok ran for Marshal of Springfield and even finished second, which was amazing considering his souring reputation. But Wild Bill saw the writing on the wall and left Springfield for greener pastures at the end of 1865. For the next couple of years, Hickok bounced around the West, only adding to his legend. It's possible he served some time as the deputy marshal of Fort Riley, Kansas, but the general lack of records of Wild Bill's antics during this time call all that into question. Among the records we do have is Bill's rejoining of the Army under the command of General George Armstrong Custer. That's a partnership for the ages. Mm -hmm. Custer was a huge fan of Hickok and spoke very highly of him in his autobiography. Whether on foot or on horseback, he was one of the most perfect types of physical manhood I ever saw. Of his courage, there could be no question. His skill in the use of the rifle and the pistol was unerring. His deportment was entirely free from all bluster and bravado. He never spoke of himself unless requested to do so. His conversation never bordered on the vulgar or the blasphemous. His influence among the frontiersmen was unbounded. His word was law. Even Custer's wife, Libby, was a big fan of Wild Bill. Oh, physically, he was a delight to look upon. Tall, lithe, and free in every motion. He rode and walked as if every muscle was perfection. And the careless swing of his body as he moved seemed perfectly in keeping with the man, the country, the time in which he lived. I do not recall anything finer in the way of physical perfection than Wild Bill, when he swung himself lightly from his saddle and, with graceful, swaying step, squarely set shoulders and well-poised head, approached our tent for orders. 
Wow. It sounds like she really, really liked him. There were rumors of an affair between Wild Bill and Libby. Based on that description, I would not be surprised. Although it seemed Custer and Hickok worked well together during the Indian Wars, Hickok left the army again in 1867 and found his way to the town of Hayes City, Kansas. The legend and stories that had grown around Wild Bill's name helped to quickly place him in a position of power. By 1869, he was elected sheriff. The three previous sheriffs of Hayes City all quit within the span of 18 months. Things were pretty reckless and pretty violent in Hayes City. I bet the resumes weren't flying in for this job. The people of Hayes City were hoping that Wild Bill could live up to his legacy. And live up to it, he did. I'm cleaning out this here salon. Give me all them valuables and all the beer you've got. Samuel Strawhum, stand down and come with me. This has all gone far enough. You think that's convincing to me, Marshal? Just because you're some sort of hero don't mean you got the power to stop me. We're going to sell this right now, Strawhun. You can come with me and that'll be the end of it. But if you reach for that gun, well, you know what comes next. Screw you! I, I warned you. A far cry from the reception he got in Springfield just two years prior. Yes, but while the fame was instrumental in his rise, it also caused a great paranoia to develop. What did Bill have to worry about? At this point, he was one of the most noted gunslingers in the West. Exactly the point. Bill Hickok was a legend, but the Wild West was called the Wild West for a reason. Everyone was trying to stake their claim. And what better way to get a reputation than by killing the great Wild Bill? I see. Like the Waco Kid in Blazing Saddles. Sure. Bill had to constantly keep his head on a swivel, and he would always walk in the middle of the street, eyes darting back and forth to ensure no one could sneak on him. He would even loudly slam open the doors of a bar just to make his presence known, and leave as quickly as he came, just to keep everyone in good and fearful behavior. Still, there were many assassination attempts on Wild Bill during this time. It seemed every Tom, Dick, and Harry wanted to be the one to kill him. But all these Toms and Dicks and Harrys seemed to forget that Wild Bill was a legend for a reason. Yeah, my way! Quiet, Mulby. You want Wild Bill to come out here? Yeah. Yeah. I want to kill that so-called Wild Bill. I don't think you want to do that, son. There you are. You're going to make me the most famous man in the West. I'm going to kill you right here. Right now. Hey! Don't shoot him from behind. He's drunk. Who's gonna shoot me, huh? Hey. There's no one there. Oh, shoot. Well, there's one less drunken fool. Wild Bill seems to have a knack for this whole law and order thing. A neighboring town, Abilene, Kansas, certainly noticed. After an axe to the throat killed their previous marshal, they offered Hickok the job, hoping he'd toughen up one of the rowdiest towns in the territory. Wild Bill took on the challenge with gusto. He started right away in ridding the gambling joints in town of the cheaters and the obvious drunks. As a noted gambler himself, I'm sure Hickok was very passionate about cleaning up the gambling in town. Especially since it was likely that Wild Bill himself would partake in a game or two in his spare time. He is a member of the Poker Hall of Fame, you know. Oh, well, now I do. The mere fact that Hickok was now the marshal instantly sent a message to the entire area. 
One of the most dangerous elements of the Old West was the roaming cow herd. Many times if a herd's path went through a local farm, the cowboy leading the cows would simply kill the farmer, loot the house, and continue on his merry way. Citizens of Abilene would tell stories of Bill sitting on his horse outside of their farms as the cow herd passed, watching and waiting for one wrong move. The cowboys knew that Bill wouldn't hesitate in killing them if they moved even an inch off their path. So the cowherds all rushed past Abilene without incident. Even the most vicious and notorious men of the era played nice in Abilene, now that Marshall Hickok was running things. A legend goes that John Wesley Hardin, a rather noted killer, rode into town one day and was so afraid of Hickok that he followed Hickok around in hopes of proving that he was doing no wrong. And it actually seemed that Hardin and Hickok were becoming friends. But one night, Hardin was enraged that the man in the hotel room next door was snoring too loud. He, in his anger, shot the man through the wall, killing him. Knowing that Wild Bill would kill him for this, he went right for his escape. Only clad in his undergarments, Hardin climbed to the roof and saw Wild Bill on his way to the hotel. He dove into a nearby haystack and stayed there for the rest of the night. In the morning, Hardin, still only wearing the undergarments from the night before, ran to his horse and got out of Dodge as quickly as he could. Scared out of his pants. For real. (laughs) But that's what Wild Bill brought to the table. No man was safe from his justice, and everyone knew it. It seemed that Hickok had finally found a place to settle down, as his role in Abilene was going pretty well, wouldn't you say? I'd say so, yeah. So, it was in Abilene that Wild Bill would establish some of his few lasting relationships. He took a younger deputy marshal named Mike Williams under his wing, and the two of them grew very close. And it was also during this time that Bill met his wife, Agnes Lake. She came into the town one day as part of a traveling circus, performing as the show's horsewoman, tightrope walker, dancer, and lion tamer. What a woman! I know. She was basically the perfect match for a legend of such stature as Wild Bill. The two fell in love at first sight and kept correspondence when Agnes Circus left for the East. Wild Bill was on top of the world, living the life of the Wild West legend he dreamed of being back when he was James. However, in 1871, that would all change. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, let's continue the story. Hickok, as part of his martial duties, was tasked with an unusual assignment. One of the local taverns, owned by a pair of men named Phil Coe and Ben Thompson, featured a very large painting of a bull with, well, a fully erect male genitalia, which offended some of the town. (laughs) Yikes. I can imagine. I mean, I don't want to imagine, but I can. (laughs) One day, Wild Bill stepped into the tavern and broke the news that the painting would have to be taken down or altered. And when Phil and Ben refused, Hickok stood there with his revolver until the necessary alterations were made. This is absolutely outrageous, a violation of my rights. You're a damn Yankee. Someone ought to kill you. Well, why don't we just kill him ourselves, Ben? I can kill a crow on the wing. I'm sure I can take down one man. Did the crow have a pistol? Was he shooting at you? I will be. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. Keep your paintings in line next time, okay? The crow line would become one of Bill's most famous, another story to spread across America. But it was a line that simply added to the tension between Coe and Hickok. And on October 5th, 1871, the tension boiled over. Someone's shooting this late at night? Can't be good. Mike, you stay here. I'll check it out. All right, Phil, which one of you fired the damn shot? Well, I was just shooting a stray dog. What's wrong with that? Yeah, what's wrong with that, huh? You know the gun laws, Phil. 
I'm gonna have to take you in. All right, all right. Oh, come on, it was just the dog. You're gonna kill him for shooting a dog? Why don't we try to kill you, huh? Let the man do his job. Get off of me! Screw you, Hickok! Oh, oh. Damn it. Mike! 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 I told you to stay! Mike! Say something! You killed! If you guys know what's good for you, you'll get on your ponies and get out of this town real quick. Yeah. Yes, sir. Mike. Come on, Mike. Let's get you inside, all right? You're gonna be okay, Mike. Mike! That's heartbreaking. It is. In the confusion of the brawl and the attempt on his life by Phil Coe, Wild Bill had accidentally killed his best friend, Mike Williams. This accidental murder changed Bill forever. It's said that Mike was the last man he ever killed. And according to some witnesses, Wild Bill grew more aggressive in his martial duties. He'd go in saloons, kick everyone out, and throw anyone who didn't comply out the windows and doors. If you look up more aggressive in the dictionary, that's probably the picture you'll find. If dictionaries had pictures. Although Hickok continued to be successful in cleaning up Abilene, his more aggressive style drew more complaints and more questionable incidents to attention. And only two months after Mike Williams was killed, Wild Bill was officially dismissed from his martial duties. A very sad end for a very successful career, Wild Bill never returned to law enforcement. He instead went back to his first love, professional gambling, which he was still very good at. He is a poker hall of famer after all. But, of course, even the best gamblers have their ups and downs. It's the nature of the game. Looking for a more consistent form of income, Bill headed east and tried his hand at the acting profession. He headed up to Niagara Falls, New York, to star in a rodeo-style show, where he infamously fell flat on his face while trying to rope up a buffalo. Wild Bill's fall from grace was swift and painful. He joined up with his former war partner, Buffalo Bill Cody, in New York City, and participated in what would be the predecessor to the world-famous Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Here, Wild Bill was well-paid and well-fed, and was able to gamble and get in bar fights as much as he wanted. But he wasn't happy. Mm, acting wasn't really Hickok's forte. And he began to drink more and more before shows, which, as you can imagine, just made things worse. Mm, and frankly, the East wasn't the place for Wild Bill. He was destined to live out his life on the wild frontier. He left the company of Buffalo Bill in 1874 and headed back on the open trail. His next two years were spent moving from town to town, gambling and drinking the night away. In many ways, Bill was a shell of his former self. His eyesight was failing due to glaucoma, and he was no longer the perfect shot he once was. He tried his best to keep up his legend, but his appearance grew more disheveled, and the days he was sober were few and far between. He was often arrested for vagrancy during this period, even if he had a successful night of gambling because he had the appearance of a worn-down homeless man. It really is like the classic Hollywood downward spiral, the Britney Spears of his era. But, like Britney, there was always hope for the big comeback. In March 1876, he finally married Agnes Lake, and shortly thereafter left on a wagon to the Dakotas, hoping to find some gold and regain his life. On the way to the Dakotas, Wild Bill crossed paths with another Western legend, 
Calamity Jane. Although their time together was certainly very brief, Calamity Jane would become obsessed with Hickok and later claimed that they were married. Through the ages, many stories have told about the secret love affair between Wild Bill and Calamity Jane, and some even claimed to be their children. But all the stories about Jane and Bill are easily proven false, and even an attempt to bury Jane next to Bill was thwarted. That's another level of obsession, even in death trying to find a connection. From what we know about Wild Bill, the one true love of his life was Agnes. He wrote to her often as he made his trek to the Dakotas. But as much as he was excited about this new opportunity, he also suspected that his death might be closer than expected. Agnes, darling, if such should be, we never meet again. While firing my last shot, I will gently breathe the name of my wife, Agnes. And with wishes even for my enemies, I will make the plunge and try to swim to the other shore. Unfortunately, Wild Bill's vision of his death proved to be correct. He would meet his end in the town of Deadwood, South Dakota. As with every place he went, Hickok engaged in the local poker scene. On August 1, 1876, he won heavily in a game with Jack McCall. Two pair. Damn it! Wipe clean again. Here, take this. What? You'll need some money for breakfast in the morning. Don't want you to go hungry, kid. You giving me charity? I help where I can, kid. Just take my advice and trust me from experience. Don't gamble again until you've got enough to cover yourself, okay? Insulted and embarrassed by the loss and the unwanted charity, Jack went to get a drink and plot his revenge. The next day, August 2nd, 1876, Wild Bill arrives to the saloon for another day of poker. Normally, Wild Bill always selected his lucky seat, which was any seat facing the door, a habit from his paranoid days. It was so he could see if any of his enemies were coming in. However, on this day, Bill had arrived too late. The seat that faced the door was taken. Wild Bill asked twice if he could switch seats, but he was refused. Anything to disrupt your opponent's lucky mojo, I guess. Hey, you take what you can get in poker. Still, wishing to gamble, Bill reluctantly took the next available seat and started to play. And because he was not facing the door, he did not see a drunken Jack McCall enter the saloon, pistol in hand, heading right towards him. Damn you, Bill. Take this! Oh my god, he's dead. Wild Bill is dead! Wild Bill Hickok died instantly at the age of 39. The cards he was holding at the time of his death were black eights and black aces. That hand is known to this day as the dead man's hand. The fifth card that he had just received is, however, still up for debate. After years of men trying their darndest to kill one of the West's greatest legends, it was a drunken poker player insulted by a kind gesture that finally did the deed. A jury of local miners tried McCall the very next day. McCall claimed that he had killed Wild Bill as revenge for killing his brother during his martial days. The jury of miners acquitted McCall, which prompted a local newspaper to write, Should it ever be our misfortune to kill a man, we would simply ask that our trial may take place in some of the mining camps of these hills. Huh, that's a great line. Sensing he wasn't well-liked in Deadwood, McCall fled to Wyoming and bragged to anyone who would listen that he was the killer of Wild Bill Hickok. It was soon realized that since Deadwood was an Indian territory, that McCall's trial in Deadwood had no legal basis. He was arrested again in Wyoming and charged with murder. McCall was quickly found guilty and was hanged for his crime. The lesson here, kids, is never brag. It seems very fitting that the ultimate lawman, even in death, still saw justice served. Wild Bill Hickok's legend only grew in the years after his death. 
and he has become one of the enduring images of the American frontier. From the day he was born, he was destined to seek adventure, right wrongs, and, well, be wild. He earned his place amongst the heroes he so desired to be. Few men represented the spirit of the West, quite like Wild Bill Hickok. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easier for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Famous Fates for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Famous Fates on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Remember, it's a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find the show right here. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to Famous Fates, available exclusively on Spotify.